You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning, church. Happy Palm Sunday. Happy beginning of Holy Week. If you're here for the first time and you're thinking, what in the world is going on? This happens every Sunday. We start over here with branches. No, we don't. This is a super special but wonderful occasion that kicks off the holiest week of the year for Christians. The biggest, baddest, most beautiful party. And it doesn't kick off with the kind of bang that you might think, like most parties might kick off. But where it leads is actually this really surprising, very red, passion-oriented kind of journey through the suffering and the blood of Jesus. But that's not where it ends. So I invite you to follow with us this Holy Week on Thursday and on Friday. We have services and a vigil in this space on Saturday. Please join us. And then also on Sunday as we journey together through Holy Week together. Well, as we begin this final week of Lent, we celebrate something super special for us as Christians. We celebrate the Messiah that we've been long waiting for, especially if you've had a good long Lent, like when is this Lent going to end kind of thing. It's so nice to finally welcome this Messiah that we've been waiting for. This one who's going to come into our lives and make good the promise that God has made to us to make all things new, to rescue us, to save us from ourselves and establish his good and peaceful rule on the earth. Amen. 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 I long for that. Lord, come. Especially when you watch the news or if you turn on anything electronic these days, it's like bad news bears everywhere. Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. This is the cry of Hosanna. As we said, uh, coming in like 800 times, Hosanna, save us, O Lord. That's our cry this morning. But this Messiah King If we're following the story in scripture with the disciples, this Messiah King wasn't declassified, this identity of this Messiah King. He wasn't public until this last week of his life. Think about that. You recall those stories when Jesus would do these miraculous things and what would he say? Now go and tell everyone, no, keep your mouth shut. It's not time yet. This is a secret. He warned people, don't tell anyone what you've seen here must have been so confusing for them. Why would that be? Because his time, this Messiah's time, had not yet come. God was planning this global, this cosmic coup d'etat, this overthrow of the powers that be. And there was plenty of warning for them, but they weren't going to hear who this Messiah figure was before it was time. No wonder it wasn't public. This was like the most sensitive operation the world has ever known. You should see what happens, for instance, and you could see why Jesus might say it's not yet time. You could see what happens to those who challenge the authorities that be. What, what do the emperors and the governors do to these people? Any kind of insurrection, any kind of insubordination, any kind of challenge of authority, the emperors and the governors and the rulers at that time would have the most heinous, of punishments for these people. Jesus' approach to establishing, to coming in and overthrowing the rulers that be, it was radically different, though, than most were expecting. There is others that had tried to overthrow Rome. We hear stories of that in the antiquities. It began 
for Jesus at least, not the way that others had tried to overthrow him, but it had began in some no-name town out of the way. And Jesus tells his disciples the first move of this covert operation is to go get a cult. Not a really promising start for an effective overthrow, you'd think. Jesus heads into Jerusalem during Passover week, which, by the way, is like south by for Jerusalem, right? It's just (laughs) the city grows by six times its population. There are people everywhere. Everyone's there for this Passover week. So at this biggest moment, this super sensitive moment, because the city is about to burst with people and with energy, in this moment, this is the stage that Jesus chooses to reveal his identity to the Jewish world. This is the moment in which Jesus decides to show himself to the people. Now, according to scripture, the sight of a son of David, track with me here, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem had undeniable messianic overtones. This wasn't just some sort of like humble way of making your way from point A to point B. Jesus could have just like walked, right? Why go through all of this with the donkey? This was a signal, was a cue, picking up these Old Testament stories of the Jewish people who had always anticipated that this Messiah King would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt. Jesus knows this. He was announcing, and he did so quite effectively, to be honest, that he was God's anointed servant, the Messiah that had come. And he was coming to sit on his throne in Jerusalem as God's anointed king. First Kings chapter one says this, David says that his son Solomon, for instance, would succeed him as king of Israel by having him ride upon his own mule into the city. So this wasn't some like, in a vacuum choice that Jesus made. He was picking up this old storyline of kings that were coming to sit on their throne. And though all of this is according to the ancient Jewish recipe for announcing a new king, Jesus is nothing like his predecessors who tried this before. He doesn't come as a militant conqueror. He doesn't come as a triumphant warrior on a horse. Not yet, if you heard Revelation, not yet. But he comes, Jesus comes as a poor servant on a donkey. And I mean like really, actually poor. What did he have? And here he comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah foretold. It's beautiful. Chapter 9, verse 9. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He shall command peace to the nations. Wow. Can this really be? Can you imagine being in that crowd welcoming this king? Is this really the Messiah we've been waiting for? Could this really be? He hasn't come with violent force, but clothed in poverty. He hasn't come in like shiny clothes or with some entourage to just kind of like shock and awe everyone and make sure that you can see my power, but no, in poverty on a donkey. His power is healing. The stories had gone before him. People knew what he could do, but he arrives gently, unthreatened, not as if He can't take what is rightfully his. Totally non-anxious coming into his courts in Jerusalem. And his welcome 
came from those who are in captivity. Hosanna in the highest, save us, rescue us. Only those who need a rescue, only those who are in captivity, only those who are oppressed by an occupying force would cry out something like that. Hosanna, save us. They laid out their palms, they laid out their clothes, they called to him, save us, Hosanna. This was all according to the custom. This was all according to the story. But there's nothing really, if you think about it, there's nothing really customary about the king that this kingdom, the, the kingdom that this king would bring either, right? The people who would welcome him with palms didn't quite understand what was coming with Jesus. They expected this guy's gonna overthrow the emperor and like we're gonna have our country back and we can like live in peace, right? And with palms, they waved him, come on in, Hosanna, save us from the Romans, save us from these people, save us from this occupation. But they didn't understand that Jesus was up to something far greater than just saving those people from Roman occupation. Their fanfare, in fact, wouldn't last very long when they realize more and more of this kingdom that isn't coming the way that they expected. Some of these same people with the same voice would say, Hosanna, in the same breath they would say, soon crucify him. These were the same folks. They wanted their rescue on their terms when they wanted it, how they wanted it. Jesus, you don't know what we need. We know what we need. And until you come into our courts and sit on your throne the way we would like you to sit on your throne, you have no place. Either participate in the way we like things done here or get out. Does that sound familiar? We can hail him as king. We can welcome him into our lives. But on what terms, friends? Or are we just like those who welcome him, Hosanna, only to shortly later say, crucify him? This morning, we call out Hosanna with them. But what kind of rescue do we really cry out for? One on our terms, the ones, the way we like it done, the things that we would like to see. Jesus, I need I need a rescue from not having enough money. Jesus, I need a rescue from not being in the right relationship. Jesus, I need a rescue from you pick it. Jesus, I need you on my terms. And I'm not, not, none of this is to say that none of us have like actual problems we do and we should cry out to the Lord. But I want you to understand that when Jesus comes to sit as king in our lives, he actually guides our lives according to his will, not to things that necessarily we anticipate or would desire. And we have a choice in this to say, Hosanna, yes, Lord, I trust you. Even if the way that you lead leads directly to the cross, I trust you. Can we decide to follow him in that way? What kind of welcome do we extend to the Lord this morning? Do we really welcome him as our true king or just our king as long as pain and suffering isn't on the road? Jesus is so full of mercy, he's so patient. He doesn't come into our lives, he didn't come into Jerusalem to violently overthrow things, th throw tables over and just like start kicking things around in our lives and in the city, no. He waits, he waits to be welcomed as our king. He waits for us to open up our hearts and welcome him in and invite him in. Yes, Lord, come and sit, teach me what it means to be your servant. But let's be clear, though Jesus is merciful, though Jesus is patient, and I know, I think all of us understand that Jesus is so sweet like that, right? It's a little bit harder for us to understand this. 
He won't negotiate with you about his kingdom. He won't negotiate with the powers and the rulers that reign in your life either. He won't share the throne with anybody else. He's not interested in peace talks. He's not interested in accommodating or co-ruling your life. Who else is worthy to sit on the throne of our lives like this, alone? What other goodness, what other kindness, what other love in the world has proven more true than Jesus? Doesn't he deserve to sit on the throne alone? What contender can stand next to him? Friends, this morning, I want to ask us genuinely as we begin Holy Week and we invite Jesus into our lives again this, in this, this week journey that we have before us, will we really welcome him as king? What's getting in the way from us doing that? What, what emotional response or what thing in our head gets triggered when I say that that keeps us from actually welcoming Jesus truly as king in our lives? What fear bubbles up? Where will he lead us? Oh my gosh, what if Jesus leads us Somewhere we don't want to go. This is a great mystery that we have as we journey in Holy Week. But this morning, friends, instead of garments, let us spread our hearts before the Lord and welcome him as our king. Even we who may not know the challenges of head, we may not know what suffering comes for us or for the Lord. Even we can put our trust in the king who has finally come to set things right in our lives and in the world. May our shouts of Hosanna be like these branches that we have laid down at the feet of the altar. Lord, come. May we lay our lives at the altar with our palms as we've done this morning as a sign of victory, as a sign of celebration that finally the king we have longed for is here. We can hail him wherever he leads us as king. This morning we have a chance to announce our trust in this king. And we don't just get to think about it because Sean talked about it and we heard some awesome scriptures. We actually have a chance with our bodies as people in this room, as a community, of responding to this invitation to make Jesus king in our lives. We get to announce our trust in him in the creed that we stand and say together. We get to kneel before him as his subjects, receiving his words of absolution and forgiveness. And we get to come forward this morning and make a throne with our own hands upon which he can sit and reign in our lives as we receive communion. Let this be the day, friends. What if, what if this was the day that we turned our lives over to him truly again and said, Jesus, come and reign. Make things right in my life. And friends, when we do that, I can guarantee you, if you know anything about our Lord. You know what happens when people open up their hearts and extend their hands to make a throne for him and invite him in to reign as king? You know what happens? Goodness, life, freedom, grace, and mercy. You name it, what you've been looking for in the world, you find in Jesus, but way better, you'll find the actual primary source of that thing the goodness of God. That's what happens when we surrender to him. So don't let this morning go without this opportunity to respond and say, yes, Lord, Hosanna, save me. Be king in my life. 
and come forward with your bodies as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices once again, that he would reign and rule over us. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment of silence to do just that, to invite the Holy Spirit to come speak to us and for the Lord to reign. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.